Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. When I cross that finish line, like, everybody thinks like, oh, it's this accomplishment of when, you know, making it to the top. And that was it. But for me, it was hope realized. Hope when he had absolutely nothing left. We're joined today by Donald Wickstrom. He is an entrepreneur, a pastor, a racer. And as you'll hear today as he shares his testimony, a miracle. Today in Connections, he's going to share with us his years-long journey to conquer the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb while leaning on his faith and battling an aggressive cancer diagnosis. His story is powerful and worth listening to. We're joined today by Don Wickstrom. He has an absolutely amazing testimony and an amazing story. And one of the main things that we're going to talk about is his experience with I Am Second. But first of all, we want to get to know him a little bit better. Don, tell us a little bit about your life and your life growing up. Yeah, so um, I come from a family. Uh, we were a family of five. I had uh, a twin sister and an older sister and my parents. Um, we were We were poor growing up. You know, my dad and my mom were hardworking people. Um, they invested everything in a business with my aunt, and that went south. And we were displaced and homeless for a while, and my parents worked really hard to get us out of that situation. Um, grew up non-religious home. Uh, had some religious exposure in high school. Um, I don't typically disclose this, but my foyer into youth groups was because there were girls there. <laughs> and so um, much I hate to admit that, but... You know, really uh, growing up, just um, a typical Midwestern kid had my first job at 10 years old. My dad, I really wanted a car. My dad said the only way I could have a car is if I had my own job, could pay for my own car, my own insurance, my own gas. So I went out and got a got a job milking cows. And every morning, oh. 4.30 a.m., we'd go out, milk cows, and in the evening. So um, typical, not a lot of hope in my house. You know, everything was a struggle. My life was a struggle um, when I was in preschool and kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I remember teachers telling my parents that back then they used to use the term retarded. Um, and I think that's probably why my dad was hard on me because I remember one teacher saying, you better hope he can work with his hands, <laughs> otherwise he's going to have a hard life. And I think that's why my dad was was hard on me. And, and obviously neither one of them knew Christ. And, and unfortunately, I think I was about 25, my parents got divorced. And uh, my dad just came to know the Lord about five years ago. And he's a completely different man, and that's been an interesting and awesome experience, you know. And and my mom, you know, she's she's still working out her faith journey, but uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd have to say I felt loved, maybe never measured up, never good enough. Um, me and my sisters had some, especially me and my twin sister had a lot of strained relationship, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of I guess growing up. <laughs> Now, that all changes for you when it comes to your faith. You do eventually find faith, and we're going to get around to that a little bit later as well. But in there, you mentioned cars and that you had a dream to race the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Now, a lot of our listeners will not know what that is because a lot of us are from Canada. So first of all, tell us what this is and why this was such a dream for you. Yeah, so um, first off, I, I didn't know anything about Pikes Peak until I was eight years old. And there was a special, and I'll kind of explain what Pikes Peak is. It's it's uh, one of the it's one of the most majestic mountains. It's where America the Beautiful was wrote. Uh, it's fourteen thousand, um, depending who you talk to. It's about fourteen thousand one hundred eighteen feet up in the air, one hundred fourteen feet. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's in Colorado Springs. Um, it's a mountain, and on it is one of the oldest races uh, in the world. 
called Pikes Peak Hill Climb, and you literally go up a road on the side of the mountain, racing as fast as you can. It's got it's about wow. uh, it's about uh, 12 miles, we'll call it, and it's got about 154, 156 turns. Um, and it used to be all dirt and, until just about uh, eight years ago, uh, maybe even longer than that now. And now it's all asphalt. But I saw a special when I was eight years old. We had just, you know, got into a house finally. And me and my cousin on Friday nights used to watch Star Trek. And there was a special on before it. And it was Bobby Unser was his name. He was a famous racer going up Pikes Peak. And I fell in love with it. And I wanted to do it. I remember turning to my cousin saying, one day I'm going to do that. And uh, so, I, I mean, I've loved cars since I can remember. You know, my family wasn't well off. So, you know, I bought my own cars and, and really never got into racing. Uh, until I got out of the house and, and started my own career. Um, but yeah, I kind of held on to that. And then, you know, you have family. And I, I think I pretty much let go of that dream really my freshman year in college and just like, it'll never happen and kind of put it on the back burner. And uh, that's where it sat. And that's definitely something that many of us can relate to. As you said, you finished college, you had kids, and it changed your life. But you did go on to pursue this dream. It was a bit challenging. There were a lot of hiccups along the way. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I did go back. I did end up going to Pikes Peak. And the way that came about is in 2018, I got a cancer diagnosis. And with that was a pretty grim outlook on life. And my doctor looked, looked across the table from me and said, if you want any chances of beating this, you need to sell your business. And at that moment, I owned one of the largest uh, robotic integrators in the United States. And I was actually on my way to speak at probably what should have been the culmination of my career um, at an event for Forbes Ag Summit. And, and it, it was pretty hard news, you know, but I really did feel like it was weird on the plane ride there. I felt like God spoke to me and said, man, you're going to have to get rid of this business for, for, for a while, you know, and I was like, huh. So here I am. So we're in the midst of selling the business. Um, one of my friends hears about the diagnosis and he says, hey, why don't you figure out something on your bucket list? I want to help you. You've always helped other people. I want to help you accomplish a goal in your life. And so after praying about it, Pike's Peak came up and I just kept praying about it and I couldn't quite put it together why I felt like God was leading me to uh, go to Pike's Peak and how that fit in with everything. But I did. I talked to my wife about it, said, hey, why don't you pray about it? And uh, she wasn't at all a fan. I think what made it worse mm -hmm. is my son was showing her videos of people crashing. <laughs> so that doesn't really no. you know, bode well uh, for that. But she was praying. And I remember one night, this was really pivotal for me. One night we were in, in just laying next to each other. We got done praying and everything else. And she, she asked me, she says, are you going to have animosity towards me when I tell you that I don't think you should do this? And I knew she was a praying woman, and, and I'm like, man, I don't think I'd have animosity. I'd say I'd be hurt, you know, and I'd wonder, like, I really felt like I heard from God that I'm supposed to go do it. And she's like, okay, well, I was just wondering. And she laid down, and I mean, she laid down and rolled over, and about three minutes later, she's like, hey, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And she's like, if eight-year-old Don would have seen a video or heard about accomplish your dream she says do you think that would have given you hope a lot earlier and maybe drove you to the cross a lot earlier and i said for sure i said because i didn't think anybody existed with the hopelessness i had and she says then you got to go tell your story and uh 
that's what started the ball rolling for Pike's Peak, you know. And and, and I looked up my buddy Andy, uh, and he's crazy enough to take me on and build a car with me. <laughs> and we went up. Uh, didn't go well the first two years, but anyways. They mentioned your faith in there a little bit. You talk about how God had called you to do all of this. But at one point, you considered yourself an atheist. So can you tell us about this and how that all changed for you? Yeah, so, you know, you go— Number one, I went to college. That was not on my radar. That was I made a bet with my dad and lost and I had money saved up for a race car. And he just he said, man, if a college will accept you, go very quickly. When I got to college, I just saw all these religions. I saw all these people. They were nothing but hypocrites to me. I'm like, man, this is and I said, I'm going to show how stupid these people are to follow religions. And I really had honed in on Christianity. You know, I had some basis for it when I was younger, but. Um, I was like, yeah, I know these people, they don't get it. And so I set out to set the major religions wrong, got through the first major three, um, and that went easy. I mean, it was really quick. So I thought, man, Christianity is going to be really easy to debunk. And I got to it, and it was, I say a two-year journey, but really it was about a year and a half journey. And I remember I got, the more I got into it, the more I learned about the history and how well it was preserved and how accurate it is and how many original copies we have and the fact that we can go back today to the original transcripts and know how well the translation is was remarkable and you read about the dead sea scrolls and and there's so much you know where we see like it's the only prophecy in the world that's 100 percent accurate been 100 percent right they thought it was wrote after jesus then we find the dead sea scrolls 714 years before jesus comes on the scene all these things blew my mind but the disciples really bothered me and i just kept getting more angry and more angry because i wasn't able to back up what I believed. This Bible was true. It was the only thing that's, it's the only religion that subject itself to outside criticism and forensic investigation. And it still stands. And I was just angry. I got to a point where I, I can say this, Colleen, where I 100% believe the Bible was true. I knew Jesus existed. Um, to me, he had to have been the Messiah because everything else he said came true. And you had Isaiah, which you couldn't deny the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I didn't want to accept it. And that was a six-month thing, and, and I was just angry and bitter at that time. And I was kind of an angry guy anyways. I fought a lot, and I just remember the hopelessness I had increased, the uneasiness I had increased. And I remember there were so many nights where I would lie awake in my bed, and I felt like literally – a cold breeze was just blowing through my soul and my belly and my stomach. And I was at work one night, and I was just really struggling with this. Because what I saw is you accept Jesus, you're going to end up dying because you can't deny him. You know, even as a non-Christian, I couldn't deny who Jesus was. <laughs> you know, I had the evidence and the facts. And one night at work, I opened up a preheater, had done it a million times. And this heat comes rolling in your face. It's about 800 degrees and it hit me, and I felt like God audibly said, I heard his voice audibly, and it said, this is nothing compared to the hell you'll experience if you don't accept the truth of who I am. And I just hit my knees at that moment on that floor. I mean, it was the middle of a forklift dial. I didn't care. And I just cried out to God, and I said, you know, God, I said, I know, you know, I'd never heard a salvation message. If I did, I don't remember it. And I just remember crying out to him. I said, You're, the word says that if I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and Savior, that you'll save me. And if I repent of my sins, and I think I just, I think I spent an hour on the floor just crying out any sin I think I ever committed. <laughs> but 
I didn't have this huge like a lot of people say there's this burden and they feel their sins lifted. I didn't necessarily feel that. What I felt was when I got up, all that evidence, all that knowledge I knew informed me that I now have hope. Everything in life was a struggle for me. I felt like everything was so hard. It was a battle. It was a fight. Everything was. And from the outside, I looked successful. At that time, I'd already moved my career from an engineering intern to an en- a process engineer to a project engineer to a project manager now. And I'm this young guy, and things are looking good. But all of a sudden, I had this hope that I hadn't had before, that the world standard didn't matter anymore. That God says I'm good enough, that he said, hey, I love you enough that I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ. I had a Jesus who said, I love you. You know, I have a God who loved me enough, a Jesus that died for me, and a Holy Spirit that was advocating for me. And that changed everything. That changed everything. How did that affect your life moving forward from then? <laughs> I mean, I slow for some lessons, but I think honestly <laughs> for me, success and money didn't matter anymore. And I had, I think God had turned my heart into a, I don't know that I was a grateful person before that, but I found generosity and gratitude because I was so thankful. And what it did is it started changing my trajectory. Six months later, I'm a youth pastor. I used to hate kids. I hate to admit it. I hated kids. Six months later, I'm a youth pastor. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm not alone. Mom. you know, and I'm a, you know, here I am, a youth pastor. I become a, a worship oh. pastor too, and and just my whole trajectory changed. And next thing I know, I'm opening up a robotics company. You know, me and my wife were opening up a robotics company, and back then it was super hard. I mean, everybody thought a Terminator, so I'd have to call, like literally, I'd call and talk to 500 people before I even sold one thing, wow. and it was super tough. And there, and there were times during that where literally me and my wife didn't eat because we had to feed our kids. I mean, it was so hard. But yeah, God was so good. He was so good. Always at the last minute, I can remember one time we had nothing to eat except for some macaroni and cheese, and we saved it for the kids. And someone dropped off a, a thing of lasagna for us, you know. And another time, you know, I don't know where we were at, but someone just randomly gave me money and said, "Hey, here, God just kind of put this on my heart." I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of nowhere, not even close to home. And so God was just faithful, and I think it just changed my trajectory. You know, as far as me and my wife's trajectory is, as far as where we were going and and what we were going to do, you know, and I think of, you know, we always talk about John 316, but 17 is even better, right? For he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that they may know life and life everlasting. That's what I knew. And so I think just that hope kept building. And, uh, you know, it took a while for me to get a lot of rough edges off of me. (laughs) Probably still have a lot of rough edges, but yeah. But rough edges are what make you you. Now, how did that hope help you with your cancer diagnosis? Yeah, so um, full disclosure, not the first time I've had cancer. So I actually got lymphoma when I was 25, and me and my wife weren't married very long. And I remember telling her, like, I feel like God just told me to wait. And we just waited. And I remember my oncologist, she was super awesome. Her name was Dr. Green. And she just waited it out with us, you know, but they made me go in every month and test because, you know, with lymphoma, it can take off like that. You have a 17% chance. And all of a sudden it went away. And I, that was just a miracle wow. of God, right? Well, you fast forward and, and this cancer diagnosis came on the heels of an unknown illness I had. So I had been to other hospitals, other doctors. They couldn't figure it out. I was actually in a wheelchair 60 to 80% of the day. Oh, wow. 
And God gave me a dream, and it was two Amish doctors coming up to me saying, hey, we're going to help you. Fast forward uh, about six months. I'm in Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, and I meet an Amish doctor, and he turned my life around. And we started getting that health doing really well, and then the cancer came. And you learn a lot. That hope, cancer is a scary thing for anybody, right? And and when you hear cancer, even in us, you know, you and I, we hear someone with cancer. It's like, <gasps> it's not, are they going to die? It's when they're going to die, you know, because even if you get through it, it's not real great, right? Typically, a lot of people uh, don't live a healthy life after that. And I think for me, I remember driving and I was doing well with that. I was like, God, I'm putting in your hands. You know, I'm happy. You know, I got some extra years in life. I felt with that disease that isolated me to a wheelchair. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm walking on my own. I'm doing well. So I felt pretty grateful. But that hope helped me set my eyes on eternity. Uh-huh. And and we often, we want to cling to everything. Uh, you know, we want to hold on to everything so tight. And here I am in a moment where I can hold on to everything tight, but everything I would hold on to that the world has to offer evaporates when I die. So it's just like having handfuls of sand. There's no foundation. There's no grabs there. Or I can hold on to the clutches of the cross. And I just took this attitude like I'm going down swinging. I have, you know, I I know where I'm going. Like I had just this peace about like if I die, it's okay. But I told God, I said, you know, I tell everybody I plan pessimistically, but I lived optimistically. And I just kind of felt like, you know, God, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. You know, I wasn't that guy that, you know, pray every day for a healing, everything else. Why? Because I can pray when it's on my heart, but that's all I'm going to pray is what's on my heart. And most of the time, my prayers on my heart are for other people to get saved, people I know to outreach to be used. And so that hope drives you. And I think it made it manageable. And, and you know, here it is. I'm, I, you know, here we are. Some years it's still battling the colon. But, man, I'll tell you what, like, I would life has taken – I'm living the life today. That at 18, 20, 25, I would have loved to live. And people look at it like, but yeah, you got cancer. I'm like, yeah, so? I mean, I'm going to go down swinging. I want to I wanna show up at the gates with that sword, so to speak, just wielded to my hands and stuck because I fought the good fight. And I think the hope of eternity does that. And it's funny that you say that. Our friend was diagnosed recently with pancreatic cancer, and he, of course, had his doubt off the hob. But he's like you. I'm not going down. He's out there living his life and spreading joy to the rest of us while we're sitting here thinking, you have pancreatic cancer. Now, what's amazing in all of this is that you did go on to complete Pikes Peak International. Like you said, the first two were unsuccessful, but the third one was absolutely amazing. Tell us about that. Oh, man. I, You know, you, the first two years we crashed. The first year wasn't my fault. The second year was totally my fault. And real fortunate to walk away. I mean, two seconds airborne. You know, we don't know how many G's I experienced because the meters peg out at 68. Um, but went back and Pikes Peak, God bless them, man. They, they are, it's like a family up there and they had me back. And so we came back the following year and they actually shortened the course. The dream's been the summit. But everybody, I mean, everybody in that monkey's uncle was like, you better make it, you better make the finish line. Remember, no, you don't have to win. You just got to make it to the top. And <laughs> I'm really not that competitive. I don't care if I win or not. I just want to do the best I can. But this year, uh, 2022, we made it to the summit and, and it was super foggy. It was treacherous. It was dangerous. But I think the movie 
does it real good just I never said anything to anybody, but when I crossed that I'm gonna get I'm trying not to get emotional here, but when I crossed that finish line, like everybody thinks like, oh, it's this accomplishment of when you know, making it to the top and that was it. But for me, it was hope realized. You know what I'm saying? Like in that moment, the video does such a good job. I really did see my life, all these stages of life where even before I knew God, he was working. He was pursuing me and I could see my kids and everything else. And it was just a it was it was an awesome moment. And I think I was glad it was foggy because it took a while to get up around the circle to the rest of the cars. And I just I remember just praising Jesus and thanking God. And more importantly, like I felt so good because we came off such great ministry at FanFest and that morning in the pits that it just it made it all worth it to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it was it was amazing. It it was amazing. I love how God uses such different ways to reach people like you. You're in a race car. How do you spread God's word in a race car? Well, now you're doing exactly that through your new film with I Am Second. It's called Chasing Hope. How does it feel to be sharing your story with such a wide audience? That must feel absolutely amazing. Well, first, you know, it's super humbling. I mean, you know, I Am Second, it's funny. I reached out to John. I think it's 12 years ago, him and I were talking and me and my wife had started a ministry around racing and we had to give that up because of my health issue I was talking about earlier. But when we started that, like I called him and said, hey, I think, it, you know, I'd love to have I am second. I use your videos all the time at church. You know, they're really encouraging to me. I said, do you mind if I put I am second in my race car? And I think he was at first, I think they're kind of standoffish like this guy's looking for money. I'm like, I don't want anything like I just want rights to your logo on my car and and we started doing ministry that way. He would send me supplies and tracks and, and that. We were laughing because he's like, did you ever think it would evolve this? I'm like, no. I said, did you? He's like, no. He's like, I just knew – John was pretty cool because he's like, I knew God put you in our lives for a reason. And it might have been for this moment. But here we are like, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. And they made this movie about nobody who – you know, was living his dream, I guess, and, and, and pursuing what God wants in his life. And it's so humbling. Um, I don't think I was prepared for how it would touch people, you know, because I don't think my story is that special. And the more I hear from people, the more I realize, like, that's what makes it so special is I'm not that special, if that makes any sense. Like, I'm an everyday person. And just to hear how it's encouraged people in so many different ways. And I love that here I am, one of my first interviews, I think this is the second interview I've only done, is from Canada because the company that believed in me as an engineer was from Canada. I spent oh. a lot of time in Toronto and Mississauga, uh, and 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 it. I just love Canadians. A lot of my – I've got good friends up there, and it just feels good kind of full circle for me because it was that place on the floor of their production house that I met Jesus. You know, and accept in my life. And so I think to me, it's really special that you guys would reach out and have me on. And but I, it's just so humbling. I, I don't know what else to sell. And it's been heartbreaking. I mean, some of the emails we've gotten, the direct messages. I mean, on Thursday, we were spending our morning. I'm driving meals to people. We did an outreach. So I'm driving meals, calling people on the phone, trying to find someone who called, who reached out to us, who was contemplating suicide and found our video at six o'clock in the morning and, you know, just 
didn't know what else to do but to reach out to me and found me on social media and we got them connected with people and, and they're getting help. Things like that. I mean, another guy had messaged me. His daughter was murdered. His his mother died. His dad died and someone else. And he's like, man, I have hope, you know, and, and just it's been crazy to see how God's using it. And that was going to be one of my questions. What has the response been like from people who have seen this video and you just shared? Like these are stories that are not just, you know, hey, you kind of changed my life. No, these are saving people's lives. How amazing does it feel to know that your story is doing this for other people out there? It's humbling. I mean, even now I'm trying to (laughs) hold back tears. But, you know, it's – there's a million things that that I could be doing, right? And I think it's super humbling that God chose this. And I'm not a perfect man. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But he still uses me and he still pursues me and he still loves me. And that love, that pursuit, those abilities, he has the same for everybody. Whoever's listening to this, he loves you. He's pursuing you. And he wants the best for you. And I think I can say this. I'm an expert on this. He wants the best for you, but it doesn't mean it's easy. So many times we we think that when we grab Christianity, and that's what I knew as an atheist coming to Christianity, but there's no promise of good, easy life. There is a promise of eternal life with God. There is a promise that he can be our peace and our foundation. You know, and I think I think of what Peter said, right, in Philippians 3, you know, 7 through 10, man, he's like, you know, whatever I gained, I now consider uh, for the sake of Christ. And he says, all these things I consider of the world are garbage. And it's because once you realize that the man, the, the being, the God who hung the stars and the moon and painted the galaxies, who needs for nothing, desires a relationship with you so much that he made a way to make it easy, and that's through Jesus. And I think that's a humbling message to be entrusted with, mm-hmm. and it's a humbling thing to think that, you know, to have people believe in you. I mean, it's incredible to have I am second believe in me is is incredible, especially when so long in my life I felt like no one did. I love that full circle story. Now, I have one fun question for you. Your fans call you the fastest pastor. Tell us a little bit about that, why they call you that, and how you feel about that. So needless to say, I'm going to full disclosure. <laughs> I am not the fastest pastor. When I circle tracked race, there was there was a, 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 a pastor who raced. He was faster than me. Um, when I went to the Hill, Lane Schrantz, a good friend of mine, he's a pastor at Highlands, uh, started Highlands College. Um, he races there. He, he did his 40th race, I think it was, or it, it, something like that. His 40th, or it, it was a lot of races. And he did his last one this year. I'm not the fastest pastor, but how it came about was I hired a guy who was doing doing some stuff. And I'm like, you got to come up with a social media handling for me. I don't know what to do. And he did all this research and he came back. He's like, it's got to be fastest pastor. And I'm like, what? I'm not that fast. And he's like, no, but it'll stick. And then all of a sudden people started picking up. And and this year I did earn the right. I actually qualified faster than Lane. And he texts me and he says, now you're the fastest pastor. And so, um, yeah, so I love it. The fans, you know, it sounds a little arrogant. That's one thing I didn't like about it. But after a while you start to realize like it's not so much that fast on the racetrack. It's that life has been fast. And so, yeah. (laughs) 
And speaking to you, we can tell you are a very humble man, and our listeners are going to pick that up really quick. Um, So besides this film, Chasing Hope, what else do you have going on? I know when we first started speaking, this film has like brought tons of things to you. Tell us a little bit about what's going on for you now. Yeah, so it's been a lot of speaking. Um, We're getting more and more engagements, a lot of people reaching out. I was encouraged to, I've been encouraged to write a book for last year. I just started it not too long ago. So I'm working on that. Um, That is not easy for me because I'm an engineer and we're illiterate. So, and, uh, you know, so we're looking for that. We really talk with some, you know, prison ministry is another thing that's on my heart as well. And, uh, you know, me and my wife are just trying to remain flexible. But, you know, we're, we've got speaking engagements, um, both secular and, Non-secular, which I like, you know, to be able to bring the message to people that normally wouldn't get it. That's what our ministry is about. But I don't know. It's crazy. Like I have a meeting Thursday with John Humphrey and I am second because like I I still this is still making my head spin. This is not, (laughs) you know, anything that was on my radar. So I I just whatever way he wants to use me, I'm like I pray about it. And if I have peace about it, I do it. And, And so it's just bringing a lot of opportunities for us to share our story and share the hope of Jesus. What do your kids think of all this? So uh, we, as you can see in the film, we have a wide range of kids. Me and my wife have been married for nearly 20 years. And um, I think my, you know, yeah, (laughs) you do a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong as a parent. And my old, you know, my youngest kids just adore me, but that's easy. Young kids tend to do that with their parents. They think they're supernatural. But my older kids... I think the best words I've ever heard is, man, dad, I'm so proud of you. And sorry, I think just it's not because I raced. It's because they both admire. They both told me they admire how much I love people and want to bring them hope. And and I want no one. I don't want anybody to escape this this message today you and I are talking about without knowing that there's hope there's hope no matter where you're at in life there's hope this this life is so quick it's so fleeting and whatever you're going through you know suffering's not sin it's suffering and and you know I think that's the biggest accomplishment I can have is when my kids are are proud of the person I am not the accomplishments I've made and so especially because they probably know me better than anybody. (laughs) For our listeners that want to learn more about you, want to learn more about Chasing Hope or just want to find hope, where can they find that information? Yeah, if you want to learn more, Chasing Hope, you can find that at um, imsecond.com. It's just all spelt out. If you want to find it and you want to follow us on social media, it's Fastest Pastor uh, on Instagram, uh, Facebook and TikTok. I do a little bit there, not as much. But also know that if you're following me, you're going to get a message every week. We do an I am second second. It's It used to be 60 seconds. They've gone a little bit longer recently. Um, we've been addressing mental health issues, so it's been a lot of fun. But um, follow us. And, and I'll tell you what, on I am second, I love them. You know, their video literally our first year at Pikes Peak, I was at FanFest, felt like I was supposed to pray with a guy, gave him a video link. He went and watched it. It saved him from committing suicide. He'd actually brought his family there as the last activity to do. But he heard this video. He turned around. He was bawling. He told his family, he says, I have hope. And he says, I brought you here because tomorrow I was going to commit suicide, but now I'm not. And they came back. We got that guy help. 
there is a video for every every point you're in life anxiety depression drugs whatever it may be anger there's a video for you on imsecond.com so i'd encourage you to check them out thank you so much for joining us for being vulnerable and for sharing your story with us today thank you so much uh, for having me here and believing in our message thank you so much and thank you so much for joining us and for listening today don't forget to subscribe we'll talk to you again on connections